So on our last episode, we were talking little hills have eyes, and I regret to admit that I missed a spot in our retrospective. I neglected to mention the porn parodies. In particular, the Hustler one, because while I grant coming up with a good parody name is a little more art than science, was the Whores Have Eyes the best they could come up with? Like, yeah, yeah, the Whores Have Eyes, you kind of want them to. If you had a bunch of Whores without eyes, that'd be a much more novel premise. Call it Tombs of the Blind Drabs. In but the yeah. brothel of the blind, the one-eyed whore is king. <laughs> yeah, uh, The Hills Have Thighs was the better title by far, but that is essentially the same movie, but cheaper, and it's a softcore Skinamax movie, so I don't know why you'd even bother. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, you have The Hills Have Eyes, which is already kind of a, not really an exploitation film, but kind of in that same vein. I mean, I'd call it an exploitation film because the producer just wanted him to make another Last House on the left. So, okay, well, even more to the point then. So you make you have what is effectively already an exploitation film, and so you make a softcore version of that. Yeah, like who, who's the audience for this? In 2010, like by that point, even the uh, the remake had passed out of most people's memory. Yeah, I mean, I I I didn't even remember that the remake was a thing until we just started talking about it. But in terms of titles, there are a few of them that are good for a lark uh, because they're really leaning into the shittiness of the whole thing. I'm half convinced the founders of Wood Rocket were actually trying to do some kind of Eric Andre style performance art because they just dressed half the cast up as my sleep paralysis demons. But you also, you also have a few that are at least trying to toe the line. You know, you got Bat Babe, the Dark Knighty, Spider Babe, Lord of the G strings. My, oh, you're my just new- talking about you're just talking about like all of like the the porn parodies in general. Yeah, I thought you were talking about like the the Hills Have Eyes uh, porn. Uh, but my new favorite is uh, Bravengers Age of Bulgatron. <laughs> uh, Wood Rockets had some fucking classics in there, man. Uh, Strokemon. Yeah, Strokemon. Uh, what was? I mean, obviously the one that became tug nuts or something. Uh, Square nuts. Square nuts. Yeah, Uh, but uh, I mean, obviously that's the one that probably became most memeified. And they Uh, and they knew what they were doing because they started selling merch. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I would. Uh, But what was the what was the TMNT one? Uh, It was ten inch mutant ninja turtles. (laughs) Well. That one's all right. <laughs> Not really it's, trying it's, super hard. It's no Playmate of the Apes. Yeah. So, welcome back to the Splatterpunk Splatterdome. My name is Ness. And David. And David, for my birthday, you gave me a present I didn't even know that I wanted in the form of a little picture called Me, You, Madness. The directorial debut of a minor league actress by the name of Louise Linton. If that name doesn't ring a bell, you may remember her or not as the husband of Steve Mnuchin. former wife of Steve Mnuchin? What'd I say? You said the husband of Steve Mnuchin. (laughs) 
which would make this a very different film. But yes, the wife of Mnuchin, former Treasury Secretary under the Trump admin, and best known for looking like a John Oliver clone soaked in pickle brine. He's not a particularly good-looking guy. No. No, he... It, it's an old joke, but he is just Oliver left out in the sun. Yeah. Or if he had the skin texture of salt pork. He does, kind of, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to figure out what it was, but he's just like, yeah, he just has this kind of, like, crusty look to him. Cru this crusty grayness, and you're like, oh, I know it. It's salted pork. Yeah. So, at a glance, I would have just assumed that this was a rich sycophant using her wealth and clout to graduate from acting in remakes of Eli Roth movies to making her own shitty send-ups to the 1980s. Which, I mean, to be fair, there is a lot of that going on. But after I looked into it, I found that she, or at the very least her husband, has been part of the Hollywood establishment for a while now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was kind of like a middling actress like she had had a few like bit parts uh steve mnuchin i think has been a uh, hollywood guy for a while right he's a producer yeah he's been working on and off as a producer since 2014 uh mostly producing crap like adam sandler's paid vacation blended uh collateral beauty which was a star-studded award bait movie that almost killed the careers of everyone involved and winter's tale a sort of magical fantasy romance film that's so unhinged that I'm going to find an excuse to talk about it on this show at some point. Uh, does that involve somebody fucking a dolphin? There's a dolphin on the poster. I can't remember what the dolphin it does in the movie. Because it, it, it's about... Is, is that the one that's about Winter the Dolphin? Or is that, that's, is that Dolphin's Tale? That's Dolphin's Tale. Okay. Because mm. I think that we are, you know, overdue for a film adaptation of uh, White Goddess. Uh, was that the guy who did a bunch of acid and fucked dolphins? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the guy who wrote a book about, uh, like, just getting fucked up and falling in love with a dolphin at New School in Sarasota. Yeah, Florida's like that. Though, credit where credit is due, uh, uh, Old Pork Face also produced a number of genuine successes, including the Lego movie, a couple of Snyderverse movies, and Mad Max Fury Road. Huh. So, yeah, a mixed bag of her career. But near as I can tell, he was not a producer on Me, You, Madness. No, this was... Uh, Which, considering Lincoln... he'll greenlight shit like the 2015 National Lampoon Vacation remake, but not his wife's passion project. Yeah, this was Linton's, like, auteur vision. This this movie has her name written, signed on it. Yeah, but the auteur isn't usually the producer. The producer's the money man. Yeah, no... Well, I mean, it helps to be independently wealthy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this movie is her unique artistic vision. This is 100% Louise Linton. And the way you pitched that vision to me was basically, what if American Psycho, but Patrick Bateman was a girl boss and also kind of like a social folk hero? Yeah. Which is more or it less accurate. It's a really weird setup for a film, and it it has a really weird tone, and it doesn't really know all the time what it's going for. And it took me a little bit to kind of figure it out. And I think I find after a little bit, I think I finally figured it out. So 
this movie is to American Psycho what like Gotti was to The Sopranos. Oh shit! Uh, I, f- I I forgot about Gotti. Yeah, I- I'm surprised Mnuchin wasn't a producer on that. Seems well, right up his alley. So with The Sopranos, you have this show that does, you know, a really interesting dissection of the way we romanticize mobsters and how that is, you know, in turn reflecting reality. You know, you have these guys who think of themselves as these kind of like romantic mafioso type dudes when in reality they're basically just a bunch of fucking mooks sitting around in the garage smoking cigars. Uh, They probably all smell like aqua velva and ham and they're just like fucking quoting the Godfather back and forth at each other all day. Uh, which is basically what the average Soprano fan does. Uh, he just yeah. sit, He just sits around in the uh, Tarpon Springs Cigar Bar uh, with a big gold chain going, hey, uh, bada boom, bada bing. Yeah, well, no, because that is what eventually leads us down the road to Gotti. Because, uh, you know, you, you, you have these guys who imagine themselves as these sort of romantic gangster archetypes when in reality, yeah, they're just a bunch of fucking uh, dorks uh cosplaying as uh you know like their idealized vision of what old school mobsters were and then eventually they go out and do some petty crimes so the text of the show is saying look at these guys it's like pointing to these guys and saying to the viewer uh it's like you know pointing at the incongruity between their vision of themselves and the reality and it's saying these guys are living a fantasy of themselves they don't even know who the fuck they are even you know yeah so you have that but then you have a movie like Gotti, and it comes along, and the text of the film is like, hey, fucking bada bing, bada boom, I'm a fucking mobster over here. Look at me do all these cool crimes, baby. And but but with, with none of the irony. No, no, totally, totally straight face. Just being like, hey, being a fucking mobster is fucking cool, right? Look at this. I'm wearing a track suit. Now I'm wearing a suit. I'm doing all these kinds of cool crimes and shit. So, yeah, honestly, I think the best uh, depiction of American mobsters was probably in uh, the two part episode from It's Always Sunny. The gang gets whacked because Mac just points out, it's like, I want to be out doing gangster shit. All you guys ever do is sit around playing cards and eating deli meats. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is. (laughs) So, like I was saying, the former is like objectively a much better piece of art. Like The Sopranos is objectively a much better piece of art than Gotti, right? But the latter offers a much clearer window into the minds of these like diseased, media-addled brains that these people have. So Which is I assume just where uh, John Travolta is resting uh, twenty-three out of the twenty-four hours these days. Yeah, I mean when he's not busy crashing a plane or whatever. Yeah, just authentic crazy person. Yeah. So now with American Psycho. You have a a movie that's drawing like a straight line between the sort of predatory, ghoulish nature of finance capital and the mind of a serial killer. Like there's a resonance because you're dealing not just with a regular serial killer like you you would see in like a typical film, but you're dealing with an entire room of these deformed, you know, pig humans that have no empathy or compassion. They're total psychopaths, even if they're not personally hitting somebody in the face with an axe. And you know that she thought about it because she references American Psycho by name. Well, so there's with American Psycho, there's other themes to dig into as well. Like, you know, the superficial uh, superficiality of it all. And like Patrick Bateman not really having any identity. He's being like a perfectly 
empty vessel devoid of humanity. He just kind of engages in conspicuous consumption to fill the void, and he does what he thinks he can do so he can blend in with them. Then you have a film like You, Me, uh, Murder, or You, Me, Madness, or sorry, Me, You, Madness. Which, it's not a great title. Yeah. Like I said, though. It, it, it's No, it's the, the Whores Have Eyes. It is the body to uh, Bateman's Tony Soprano. Because uh, with American Psycho, even though Bateman is talking at you and giving some really chilling analysis on a certain level, you're still aware that this analysis was written by somebody outside of Patrick Bateman's head. Like the analysis is just a little too coherent and self-aware to really make you believe that you're inside the mind of this total un, you know, inhuman freak. With Me, You, Madness, however, we are looking directly through a clear window into a truly demented mind. And speaking of that mind, um, I looked into uh, what Linton's inspiration for this uh, movie was, and I actually found an interview where she talks about where it comes from. Uh, I love the 80s. No one watched I love the 80s. <laughs> but according to Linton, she came up with the idea for You, Me, Madness after falling asleep in a hot car after a trip to the pharmacy. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, as one does, as you do. And while napping, napping, I, and... I wonder what made her fall asleep in the car directly after leaving the pharmacy. <laughs> and while napping and or suffering from heat exhaustion. I mean, I don't know if I was married to Steven Mnuchin, I might suffer from heat exhaustion now and again as well. While napping, she had what she described as, quote, a Doors-like vision of an indigenous man telling her to make a movie about a girl boss serial killer. So she basically so <laughs> just had the opening the opening scene of Apocalypse Now in a car. <laughs> I'm still in the parking lot of the pharmacy. Damn. <laughs> so, yeah, she used her uh, wealth and influence to do what her pink elephants told her. <laughs> and you know what? God bless her for it. Because, like I said, this movie is a perfect clear window into just a, the diseased mind that, you know, run America. <laughs> so, yeah, before we get uh, any more into that, uh, the actual plot of this thing... Uh, the plot proper involves a petty thief casing just the god ugliest house I think I've ever seen. Just a giant cube. She lives in a Borg cube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, case, casing her Malibu Borg cube, uh, which is the home to one Catherine Black, Linton's character. She is a high-powered girl boss who is obsessed with her work at the money store. Yeah, Hot fashion. Hedge fund, hedge, fund, hedge, fund, hedge fund manager. So, yeah, she works at the money store. She works at the money store. And beyond that, she's only... Oh, she's the boss of the money store. She's only obsessed with hot fashion and serial murder. Yes. And what would you say? Like, two-thirds of the movie is just her own internal monologue on her material excesses? Yeah. Yeah, like, well, going back... Not, like, it's not, like going, it's not just fashion or anything, either, because she owns, like... She owns a massive collection of expensive cars. She owns uh, a bunch of sports memorabilia. And she directly says to the audience, or the audience's avatar in a in particular case, that she buys it just because she can. 
It's completely conspicuous consumption. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that aspect of American Psycho was, like, they do it a few times throughout the movie for, like, a couple minutes. This is, like, most of the movie. Yeah, this that's, like, two-thirds of the movie is just her basically doing the alien from Spring Breakers, just saying, look at all my shit. Look at my shit. But in a British accent. Kinda. She, she has a few different accents. Cause yeah, she's Scottish have, in real life. I have no idea yeah, what her has, natural is actually, accent is. Yeah, she is actually Scottish. But she seems to slip through like at least four different accents throughout the film. Yeah. You, I, I, you actually took the words out of my mouth. It is, what if Patrick Bateman... But instead of it being, but instead of his immaculate fashion, skincare routine, and business cards being a feeble attempt to fill the gaping void behind his eyes, it's just, look at my shit. Yeah, well, because in both cases, it's a, an attempt to fill the gaping void behind their blank, soulless eyes. But in American Psycho, that's framed as a bad thing. Here, it's kind of framed as like you know this aspirational. Little, yeah, this quirky little, uh, you know, just like. Uh, like affect that she puts on. Uh, what would what would Catherine Black's uh scar face on repeat be? Hmm. Probably Wall Street, but not getting it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> uh, Michael Douglas has said to this day that he still gets people uh, who come up to him at parties and say that uh, Gordon Gecko is what inspired them to go into finance. So, yeah. Yeah, so she would probably be one of the people who idolizes Gordon Gecko. Yeah. Like I said, it's 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 a window. Louise has given us the uh the the Rosetta Stone to understand our like freak reptile uh overlords. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, after about 3 hours of uh the meandering look at my shit uh discourse, uh the actual plot kicks in. Uh, with the thief and the killer having a love affair. They spend some time doing a whole Tom and Jerry routine trying to kill each other. And then the movie yeah, they, just... No, yeah, they li at one point they literally do the, uh, the like, Scooby-Doo uh, hallway of doors bit. And then the movie just kind of ends. Yeah. Well, she she gets on her meds and becomes normal. She just gets medicated and then no longer needs to serial kill. So uh, she... And uh, the thief who is casing her house, like, settle down and have a kid and uh, live a normal life. So, so what is this trying to communicate? Uh, I still have not tried. I still have not figured that out. It's either Louise Linton just being completely insane or she is like a covert, like, Maoist third worldist. Who uh, this film is her uh, indictment of America and why the great why the great Satan must be destroyed. <laughs> I you know, Hollywood is weird like that. Yeah. Just, but yeah. Uh, just before you move on from American Psycho, just don't break the cardinal rule of never reference a good movie in the middle of your shit movie. She does nothing but reference <laughs> better things in her movie. <laughs> Yeah, for, oh. yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she references American Psycho by name at least once, and then she has multiple different allusions to different better movies. But that reminded me, we can't 
talk about this film without talking about the soundtrack, which yeah. I think is where eighty percent of the budget went. Yeah, because I, I assume outside, this outside because like almost all of this movie takes place inside the house, which I assume just is Linton's real life Borg cube. Yeah, she probably does live in a Borg cube in like the like North LA in the hills or something. Uh, Malibu. Malibu, yeah. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. So, yeah. 90% of it is, yeah, either in a kind of nondescript office or Dirk Cube. Let's see if I can pull up the soundtrack. Um, I remember Blue Monday was on there. Of course. Oh, we. I think we're alone now by Tiffany. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Take On Me. Yep. Which I think is like the soundtrack of like the climax, like chase scene at the end, right? Uh, yes. Oh, we had Oh Yeah by Yellow, of course. Ah. Which, you know, just having Oh Yeah in this film, chef's kiss. Yeah. Uh, the song that's famous for being the anthem of, like, sweaty, gross, rubbed down with ham capitalism. Yeah. And Yellow made it to be that. Uh, Maniac from Flashdance. Which... Yeah, I I can't remember when exactly she uses that, but it was in a really weird context. And Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Which I think is the soundtrack when she's cutting up a body, isn't it? It could be. Also, I also just wanted to mention the roommate. Why she why why the the thief ends up casing her house in the first place? No, no, the other roommate. You know, it's it's mostly uh, white male auteurs who get criticized for their handling of Asian woman characters. But this feels right in line with that, because the way the movie frames her makes it feel like Frank Miller wrote some portion of this. Yeah. D despite her living in this house, she shows up once. They have a little light cannibalism followed by a three-way. I, I don't know if it's ever stated explicitly that she lives, like she's like the live-in uh, girlfriend of Louise Linton's character. But regardless, yeah, she basically just does show up to uh, not talk and to fuck. Uh, well, no, she just speaks in uh, gratuitous Japanese. Was it Japanese? I thought she I thought she spoke. No, yeah, she was. No, she was speaking Mandarin. OK, I I, I was drinking, so. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, Louise Linton's uh, like Chinese girlfriend who doesn't speak English. Uh, she basically just shows up to uh, eat uh, Do some cannibalism. Yeah, do some cannibalism and fuck. And then she's just not in the movie anymore. She comes back at the end to basically, like, uh, give her blessing to uh, Louise Linton's, uh, like, hetero uh, re uh, relationship with the uh, con man. Eh. <laughs> but by and large, she's, yeah, she just exists as another one of uh, Black's possessions that she can flex on. Yeah, which, you know, yeah, that's it's a trope that you're more familiar with from the likes of, like, yeah, Frank Miller or Woody Allen or any of our other faves. Yeah, um, uh, the, the rest of the Warriors. Yeah, but... Um, I feel yeah. like Josh Whedon would be in there somewhere. It was really interesting to see it in this context. Yeah. But totally, you know, surprising, but at the same time, totally fit. Like, I can't imagine it any other way. <laughs> I wouldn't have it anyway. Yeah. So ultimately, this shit's fucked. Yeah. But I think I kind of like it. No, I I had a I had a great time. Yeah. 
some of the movies that we've watched uh, before have been kind of slogs. Like I was just like, uh, I kind of wish this was over. This one, I was like, I'm having fun. <laughs> it's it's no Kirk Cameron saving Christmas, but they they yeah. oddly they oddly have weirdly similar morals. Yeah, well, <laughs> that one offer in the same way that Kirk Cameron saving Christmas offers a much uh, a much like deeper closer look into the real diseased mind of like American evangelicalism than Kirk Cameron intended to give us. This gives us a similar look into like the minds of America's like sort of like girl boss, uh, like, you know, finance bro kind of cult, kind of like, you know, weird success boss culture. So yeah. in despite the fact that it doesn't get movies like wall street or American psycho or a wolf of wall street or, I don't know. Name an any, 80s. Any, any, name any an, film, really. Yeah. It, any film. It succeeds in ways that, by not understanding them, it succeeds in ways that they never could. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it is it is among those uh, those elite uh, bad movies like Saving Christmas or Gaudi that are not objectively not good pieces of art, but they offer us this really prescient window into an, a very important like American archetype that has shaped our, our world in a very fundamental way. Yeah, this, this is why I kind of hope that they never stop making auteur films because, you know, most auteur films are bad, but on the rare occasions, they're bad in a way that's illustrative. Like beyond being uh, extremely quotable and just a delight to watch, uh, The Room is nothing if not a, uh, a peer into the equally unhinged mind of Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Well, those are really the only good auteur movies are the ones that are made by uh, just genuine weirdos. Genuine weirdos. Yeah, just like and gen usually like weird fa like weird fail kids or like finance psychopaths or you know, Kirk Cameron. <laughs> kind of both. Yeah. You know, it's kind of he's kind of splitting the difference, but yeah, uh, those are those are the really the 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 good, the good uh, arguments for auteur theory. So, um, me, you, madness, uh, zero stars, highly recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> and I I hope to God they keep making these. Uh, it, yeah, if, if if Louise is listening, you know, I'm I'm down to you know help with the sequel. <laughs> well, you know, it's. The, the, I, I don't know if I want another one from Louise Linton because I feel like we, having watched this movie, we know everything there is to know about Louise Linton. True. That, that that's that's kind of the uh, the fall the that's kind of the downside to this particular strain of auteur movie. Like Tommy Wiseau made other movies after The Room, but no one cares because we already know everything there is to know about Tommy Wiseau. What other sick? american archetype would you like to see given this kind of treatment like we've had the uh the success boss with me you madness uh we've had the uh american evangelical with uh saving christmas we've had suburban mob this like suburban psychopath with uh gaudy um my instinct tells me uh the uh the the tech bro because we have had movies uh, like The Social Network or TV shows like Silicon Valley that, you know, 
their intent is to dress down uh, the truly sociopathic nature of anyone who's successful in the tech industry. Yeah. But we've never heard it from a primary source. No. So. That, that could be a good one. Yeah. Just, um, just let Elon be- Musk make his, uh, his Iron Man fanfic. I would also appreciate um, a look at the, like, suburban lawnmower dad. Like, basically, uh, uh, last man standing, but as, like, a, uh, like, uh, like a drama. <laughs> last man standing made by Clint Eastwood. Who would be a good one to make the, uh, the like, this version? Who would be a good guy to make this film for the, like, like suburban psychopath uh, lawnmower dad uh the, the, like the boat dealers the boating supply store owners of america uh well john milius is still alive yeah he was uh best known as the director of red dawn yeah but it, i think is he's not in film anymore is he uh da, 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 da. yeah probably not yeah but yeah if we, if we can get him out of mothballs he would probably be a good one Oh, he'd be the perfect choice. Uh, he was the basis for uh, Walter in The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Who is essentially who we're making this movie about. Well, then again, I don't know, because Walter is not normal. This guy is a psychopath, but also he's very normal because the, his society is also psychopathic. Mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about the kind of guy who, uh, like, lives out in the suburbs and who owns, like, a really big truck and who will also like brandish a firearm at a service worker. Yeah, the, the problem with suburban lawnmower dads is that most of them don't go into show business. This is true. They so. just resent the they just resent everything. Although that's actually an interesting idea for for a movie is just making a movie about an actual suburban lawnmower dad who decides that he's going to stick it to the Hollywood fat cats with his own movie. I'd watch that movie. Yeah, it'll be it'll be like basically his own project badass, but he's just driving around in traffic <laughs> all day. <laughs> just like burning masks on the steps of like a planned parenthood. Tweeting the N-word at Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> so that that would uh that would really fill like kind of fill out the pantheon that we have uh, so far assembled with movies like me, you, madness, and saving Christmas. Yeah. Well, this is a short episode since we only have the one movie to talk about. Do you have any uh, final thoughts on me, you, madness? Best picture, twenty twenty one. I mean, the the year really did hit the ground running. Yep. Only only contender is uh, of course Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This is. This is a new entry in that very uh, that very key Splatterpunk's, uh, you know, the, the, the very key shelf in the Splatterpunk's library with films like uh, Gotti and uh, Saving, Saving Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And I would contend the room because, you know, there is like a, a there is Tommy Wiseau is not unique. He is an archetype. Yeah. The, the the guy who sees himself as a as a leading man and as an artistic visionary, but like it's just not there. Yeah, I mean that's honestly that that's kind of my thesis. If you just watch those four movies, you'll understand about eighty percent of America. Or wherever the fuck Tommy Wiseau is from, no one actually knows. I think they found that he was from Poland. 
Poland, in many ways, is the America of Central Europe. <laughs> well, he claimed. I think he claimed he was from Poland, but he claimed to be from Louisiana. And Poland is definitely the Louisiana of Europe. <laughs> Just needs more gators. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we will be signing off on this short episode. My name is Ness. And David. And this has been hopefully the first entry in the Splatterpunk's auteur collection. Yes. We'll we'll have to get around to those other films that we mentioned as part of the uh, the essential library. Yeah. Yeah, there there needs the to be room is the room is pretty picked clean, but uh, you know, there's more there's more there's more meat on some of those other bones. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, Gotti, a movie most people didn't know existed. Yeah. Uh, mentioned um, uh, Collateral Beauty earlier because uh, Mnuchin uh, produced that. I need to look into who directed that because that was basically like what if The Room had a budget and an all-star cast? Well, you could contend that, that then it wouldn't be The Room. But it's equally weird. Yeah. Well, on that note. I'm David. And Ness. <laughs> And this has been another Splatterpunks Splattercast. Thank you for listening, and good night. And good night. <laughs> <laughs>